Well, this morning, I want to continue in our series called The Blessing of Obedience, which is our study in the life of Abraham, the father of the faith. And, and last week, if you will recall, we talked about a form of a test called the pop quiz uh, and, and how that life is literally loaded with them. They happen to us without any kind of notice. They happen to us without any kind of a warning. And they help in determining our integrity and our character and our faith in God. They also clearly show us if what we've learned from God's word is being really being lived out and applied to our lives on a daily basis. Well, today we're gonna continue in that vein as we talk about another kind of test. And speaking of tests, before I get into it, let me tell you about a, a nervous college student who was sweating all semester long about his ornithology exam. And in case you're wondering, ornithology is the study of birds. So he, he, he studies real hard and finally the big day arrives and he enters in the classroom and he is stunned to learn that there is not a paper test. There's, there's no fill in the blanks, there's no multiple choice, there's no short essays to be written. Instead, there are simply 25 pictures posted up on the wall. Now mind you, these are not pictures of the beautiful, colorful birds that he's been studying all semester long. They are pictures of only the bird's feet. And the professor says, your final exam today is to identify each bird by identifying their feet. Well, as you can imagine, this young man is a bit outraged. He says, this is insane, it cannot be done. You want me to identify each bird by looking at their feet? You've got to be nuts. But the, pressure, the professor responds. He said, it's got to be done. So the student says, I can't do it. I won't do it. So I'm leaving. At which, at which the professor replies to him, if you walk out of here, son, you will fail the test in the class. And the student says to him, then go ahead and fail me as he walks out the door. So this professor is a bit stunned by the whole thing. He says, okay, young man, you've just failed the test. Now tell me your name. Student sits on the ground, takes off his socks and shoes. He lifts up his feet in the air and says, you tell me. <laughs> Not sure what that has to do with the sermon today, but uh, just thought I'd share it with you to make you laugh. And I will say, as always, if you want better jokes, you better pay more money. So that's as simple as that. Well, as I said, we're going to talk today about tests, specifically how God tests our faith. And I'm titling my message today, Just Give It Up, because many times God will test your faith by asking you to give something up. He will ask you to make a sacrifice in, in some way to show your devotion and your commitment to him. And when you do, there is always great blessings that are attached to it. Well, the prime example of this in Abraham's life is found in Genesis chapter 22. You go ahead and turn there if you have your Bible. And we're gonna start with Genesis 22 verse one. It's gonna be up on the screen so you can all follow along with us. But that scripture begins with these words. Now it came to pass after these things. Let me stop right there because you're probably saying, what things? Well, if you read the previous chapters, Abraham is coming off of a season of great blessing. 
because his promised son Isaac had finally been born. And it's interesting to see how God always seems to give us tests at the wrong time, or at least what we think is the wrong time. So let's go back to the scripture. It says, now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham. And he said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Then he said, take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Now it wouldn't been enough for God to simply say, take your son, but he qualifies that phrase in three different ways. First of all, he says, your only son. God is not forgetting Ishmael, who is also Abraham's son, but what he is doing is he is making clear that Isaac was the promised son. Secondly, he says Isaac, the son for whom Abraham and Sarah had been waited, waiting so many years to have and to bear. And thirdly, he uses the words whom you love, which might even seem like God is mocking him, but these words were meant to reassure Abraham that God knew what he was asking of him. And by saying it that way, Abraham would know that God understood what it would cost him to obey. And here's a very honest statement that I believe needs to be made this morning. Obedience, folks, will cost you something. It will. If you think being obedient to God is gonna be a cakewalk, it's always going to be easy, it's never gonna be costly, my friend, you are being a bit naive. So God sends us these tests. I like to call them faith tests, and it's just like the pop quizzes that we spoke about last week. They tell us a lot about ourselves because they show us either how deeply committed we are or how casually uncommitted we can be regarding our faith. So this morning, I wanna offer you four principles of a faith test that I find within this story of Abraham's life. These are things that I hope will help you when God tests you. And here's principle number one. God will test your faith by asking you to sacrifice something. Many of us wouldn't mind being tested by God as long as the test didn't involve something that we love. The mindset is always this, God, please test me on something that I'm, I'm not attached to or something that I really don't mind giving up. Uh, test me with my leftovers or stuff that doesn't really matter in the long run. We want it to be simple. We want it to be easy. But if it's simple and if it's easy, then it's not really a test at all. And quite honestly, it's not a sacrifice at all. Let's take a look, let's use this topic of tithing as an example. I haven't talked about giving for a long, long time. I'm gonna to touch on it here. I am gonna be talking about it in the near future. God says, I want you to give a 10th of what you earn and bring it into the storehouse, the church. I want you to take it right off of the top. You see, the tithe is called the first fruits. And it's called first fruits for a reason because God doesn't want us to wait and see what is left over. He wants us to step out in faith 
and trust him. He wants to prove his promises about giving to be true, that you can indeed not only make it, but yes, you can indeed prosper on the 90% that is remaining. So here God asks Abraham to give him the most precious thing in his life. Why? Because when you are tested in an area of affection, that's when you find out who you really love. And the reason I use tithe as an example is because we love our money and we love what our money can buy us. And like so many other things, uh, and like so many other things are, are definitely areas, this and so many other things are definitely areas in our life that is important to most of us. And so the question that God is posing to Abraham and that he poses to any Christian is, do you love me more than my gift? Because remember, Isaac was the promised gift of God. Now, some of you are probably thinking, when are you going to get out of the Old Testament, Pastor David? I'm ready to hear some New Testament preaching. Well, let me just say something to you if you are thinking that. This is a New Testament truth written within the Old Testament. Let me, let me prove it to you. Jesus put it like this in Matthew 10, 37 and 38. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. In other words, everything else in life must fall in second place behind God. Remember the scripture says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these other things will be added unto you. God was testing Abraham by asking him to give up what was most valuable to him. Well, here's the good news this morning because some of you are getting a little bit antsy already. When you are confronted with this kind of a test, and I'm not talking about a headache or, or your kids misbehaving, but when you are called upon God to sacrifice something that is precious to you, when it's something that pulls at your heartstrings, something that is near and dear to you, like giving away some of your money or giving away a relationship or a son that you love, when God is asking you to give up or sacrifice something that requires every bit of spiritual reserve that you've got, it means that he is ready to move you to a next great level of faith. Let me repeat that. It means that he is ready to move you to the next great level of faith in your life. However, it will usually involve your willingness to sacrifice something that is precious to you. As an example, and this is a great example to give because I went through this. Whenever you decide to go into business, you are, and you require a startup business loan, you've got to sign on the dotted line. In order for the bank or in order for the investor to give you a loan, you've got to be willing to put it all on the line. They want to know how deeply committed you are to your dream. They want to know the value of your house, your car, any other investments or any other assets that you might have. Why? Because they use them as collateral for your loan. This way, if you default on the payments of your loan, there's a cost to you personally. There is a price that will be paid. 
They want to know if you believe in yourself and you believe in your business proposition so much that you are willing to risk it all and put it on the line. It's called putting your money where your mouth is. Understand, in the same way, God will often test your commitment to him by asking you, what are you willing to sacrifice? And please understand, he's never going to ask you to sacrifice one of your children on the altar. In fact, he never planned for Isaac to be sacrificed. God was simply testing Abraham's faith in him. And if every, after everything we've gone through about Abraham, you can probably understand why God was testing him. Because he hadn't done so well in some cases up to that point in time. God is not always going to ask you to give up a toxic relationship that, that you feel you've got to hold on to. He isn't always going to ask you to eliminate a, a bad influence in your life. It could be a thing. It, it might be a possession. It might be something that you, you deeply value. It could be an activity. It could be a hobby. It could be a habit, a crutch that you've relied on most of your life, but whatever it is, it is always something that hinders your walk with Christ. How does it hinder your walk? Because it receives your highest priority. And there is an unhealthy attention that is given to it above all other things. And understand, it will be something that you love or something that you are deeply committed to, or something that is habitual in your life. Otherwise, it's not a sacrifice. In this case, he wants Abraham to give up the son that he loves. Here's principle number two. And we talked about this in week one of this series. God will test your faith by asking you to trust in him even when it doesn't make any sense. Look at verse two again. God says, take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. The problem with this command is it doesn't make any sense. And furthermore, it's not something that Abraham can figure out. Because God has already promised him that he was going to be the father of a great nation through his son Isaac. So Abraham has this paradox going on. God, how can Isaac be the father of a great nation if you're now telling me to sacrifice him? He's not married. He doesn't have any children yet. He's just a, a teenager. It doesn't make sense to me, God. You see, when God sends you your test, it may not always make sense. Like, why would God give us this beautiful home when it seems like it's going to be foreclosed on now? Or why did God give me this promotion and now through downsizing, it looks like I'm the one who's going to get laid off? Or why did God give me this child and then ask for him back? It doesn't make sense. Well, that's because, ladies and gentlemen, it's a test. And the question becomes, will you be faithful even though you don't know the answer? So God says, take your son, take your only son. Now, technically, he has another son, Ishmael. So why does he call him his only son? Because Ishmael is the son who represents the flesh. 
while Isaac is the son that represents the spirit. Or putting it another way, Ishmael only arrived because God's way didn't make sense originally to Abraham and Sarah. So they figured they better help God out. And as we discussed last week, that is when Sarah offered her maidservant Hagar to Abraham so that they could start their family through her. Listen, when you are in a test, oftentimes you'll not be able to figure out what God is doing. He may not explain it to you even when you ask because he's testing your faith. Notice God did not give Abraham full disclosure. Genesis 22:2 he says and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. In other words, I'm not going to provide you Abraham with all the information up front. Here's the deal. A lot of us would be willing to take the test if we had all the information up front. And we could see where this test was going to take us. Because then we could decide whether or not we wanted to take the test in the first place. But God is not offering this as an option. He simply says, trust me, even though it doesn't make sense to your limited human mental capacity. Let's get back to the story, Genesis 22, verses three through five. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and two of his young men with him and Isaac his son, and he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place far off, afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, stay there with the donkey, with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship and we will come back to you. Now, if there was ever a day to sleep in and go to Denny's for a Grand Slam breakfast, this would be the day. But as the scripture reads, Abraham arose early in the morning, putting it another way, he was quick to respond to God. He doesn't fully understand God's word, but neither uh, does he argue with it. Look at verse five again. And Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship and we will come back to you. I don't know if you caught that or not. He says to his servants, stay here. My son and I will go up and do what God has commanded us to do. We are gonna go and we are going to worship God. And then, we will come back to you. In other words, we will go and worship. Worship means sacrificing my son, but we will return. What a statement of faith. Abraham says, you know, God told me that he was gonna bring forth a great nation from my son, but now he has given me instructions to sacrifice him. That's a contradiction because you can't make a great nation out of a dead boy. Now, I don't know what's going to happen up here. He's thinking on the mountain. All I know is it's going to be church, just like God asked me to go and have church. And I'm going to let God worry about all the rest. I'm going to worship him. But what I do know is that we're going to come back. Then as they are preparing, Isaac has a question. It's a very tender moment between a father and a son in verse 7. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, my father. 
And he said, here I am, my son. Then he said, look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? He says, dad, every other time we have come to this mountain to worship, we've brought all the stuff. We brought the wood to make the fire. We've always brought a lamb to sacrifice on the altar and on the fire. But today, I don't see a lamb. Please, dad, help me understand what's going on here. Abraham says in verse eight, my son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. Abraham could have said, you're it, boy. But sometimes you've got to keep to yourself what God is doing, especially when you don't fully understand what God is doing. And by telling it to someone else, do you think they're going to understand it any more than you are? They're going to think you're like out there, right? So sometimes you just got to keep stuff to yourself. So he says, God will provide for himself a lamb. To put it another way, I'm putting this one on God because it's beyond my understanding, Isaac. And that's all he can say. That's all the information the man has been given. Whenever you're in a test and God is taking you to a new level and you're caught in a catch-22 situation, you know what you do? You throw it back on God. Isaiah 11.3 says, his delight is in the fear of the Lord and he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes nor decide by the hearing of his ears. In other words, the fear of God goes beyond human perception. Some of the stuff that goes on, we cannot see with our eyes and we cannot hear with our ears or understand with our human intellect. And trust me, there's no counseling or seminars or conferences or televangelists that you can listen to that will help you on this. This stuff has to do with you and God and what he is uniquely doing in your life. And God is going to have to pr provide whatever he needs to provide to you. In Hebrews eleven seven, and I shared this one of the weeks earlier, it provides us a glimpse into Abraham's thinking while all this is going on. It says, by faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, in Isaac your seed shall be called. Concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. You see, Abraham considered that God was able to raise people from the dead, and he assumed that he would do this for his son Isaac. And I think this explains very clearly why he said to his servants, we will return, or we will come back after we worship on the mount, both my son and I. Abraham thought he had a resurrection on his hands. His perspective was, well, if God makes me go through with this, surely he's gonna change his mind when I get up there, but in case I have to do this weird thing of sacrificing my son, then God is able to raise him from the dead. He didn't understand it all, but he did believe in the power of God, and he trusted that God would provide for the answer. So if God asks you to do something, that is that's totally different from anything he has ever asked you to do before, and when you know that request is clearly from God, 
then it is definitely an answer. There is definitely an answer to the test somewhere in it. It, it, there it just is. I don't know if you've ever taken a test at school or anyplace else, and it seemed like a question appeared out of nowhere. You don't even remember the teacher covering it at all. So you challenge your teacher after the class. He said, I don't ever remember talking about that. And he shows you that you're wrong. And he's like, oh yeah, you're right. My bad, just one ear and out the other, right? Likewise, you've got to understand that God never gives a test where there is no answer. But he will give you a test when you don't know the answer in advance. And that's where faith must kick in. At that point, you have to believe simply that God is able. And Abraham believed that God was able to raise Isaac from the dead if needed. He didn't know how it was all gonna work out, but he believed. Here's principle number three. God will test your faith by asking you to go all the way. Look at verse nine. Then they came to the place of which God had told him. And Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac, his son, and laid him upon the altar upon the wood. Let me ask you this morning. Is there something that God wants you to lay on the altar today? Because here's the deal. Anybody who didn't bring a lamb to the altar in those days wasn't worshiping. Even though they were in front of an altar without a sacrifice, you're not really worshiping. It's what they did in Old Testament days. You always brought a sacrifice with you. In other words, we are not worshiping just because we show up at church on Sunday morning. Not when there's something in your life that God wants you to put on the altar. It's called sacrificial worship, folks, for a reason. And the truth is, if you believe like Abraham, even in the middle of your test, that God is faithful, then there is one place you'll be, and that is at worship. And you'll worship even though you don't understand. And through your worship, everything, will once again be confirmed and settled and you will go all the way. Look at verse 10. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. Abraham is no doubt having one of those unspoken mind conversations with God, probably going on all morning long. Okay, God, I obeyed. I got up early. I walked up to the mountain you're supposed to come through by now because you really didn't mean for me to kill him. You just wanted to see if I was willing, right? And you might say, Pastor David, I'm waiting for God to come through on something in my life, but he hasn't come through yet. Do you understand something? You haven't yet finished the test. You haven't yet gone all the way. The test was for you to go all the way. And you haven't, you haven't finished the test. This was in the context of worship and Abraham worshiped God even when it hurt. The reason he was hurt is because he loved his son and we need to learn to worship even when it hurts, High Point. It's as simple as that. Yes, some people won't even worship when it's raining outside or whenever something is going on that they're not happy with. 
But if you are hurting today because God has you in some kind of a test, then it's time to come to the altar and it's time to worship. Sometimes you gotta drag yourself to the altar and worship in your pain. And because of the test that you are facing, guess what? That's okay, that's what I would prescribe to you. But you keep on trusting God. You keep on believing in his promise. You keep on worshiping until the very end. You go all the way. Well, Abraham was willing to go all the way and he was fully obedient to God. And the hinge point of this whole episode is found in verses 11 and 12. But the angel of the Lord called him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Like I said earlier, I don't believe God ever intended for Abraham to sacrifice Isaac on the altar. He was testing Abraham's faith. And since one day he would be the father of a great nation, the father of the faith, this test was huge. And Abraham passed this test. It's a tremendous story of obedience combined with confusion and love and trust in God. And yet through it all, there has been a looming question for centuries. And the question kind of goes like this. If you truly know everything, God, because as the word says, you are omniscient, then why do we have to go through these tests? Are you with me? Because some of you this morning are mad at God. You say, God, you already know what I'm going to do, so why make me go, all, go through all of this when you know, you already know? And what makes this even more complicated is verse 12, where God says these words, for now I know. It is as if to imply that the knowledge just came to him. But if that knowledge just came to God, then how can God be omniscient? Why does God send us through these experiences where his omniscience already knows the outcome? Well, I believe there are two reasons I'd like to share with you this morning. The first reason is the test reveals where you and I stand. It reveals where we stand. The test reveals to you if you love him as much as you profess that you do. The test is designed to see if you really know it and if you're ready to move up to the next level of faith. I believe the second reason why God said, now I know, as if he didn't know it before, is because God desires experiences with us. Follow me on this. God is omniscient. So he knows all things factually, right? God is omnipresent. So he knows all things actually. But God chooses, chooses not to know all things experientially. That's why he came to this earth. 
That's why he became a man, because you can't kill a spirit. The spirit doesn't physically thirst or hunger, but when God became a man, he could then experience what men experience, because now he has flesh and blood. Again, God knows all things actually, he knows all things factually, but what he desires is the experience. He wants to feel and to enter into these experiences with you. And the only way that could happen was to break into human history when God became incarnate man. And in doing so, he not only came to save you and I, but so he could feel and experience life with us. For example, God loves the praises of his people. But let me ask you, does God need the praises of his people? I mean, he was doing fine long before we ever came on the scene, right? And the, the reason that God doesn't need our praises is because if you don't praise him, the Bible says that the rocks will cry out in praise. So if you're not willing to praise, the rocks will praise, on, on, not on your behalf, on their behalf for the glory of God and his creation. So if you won't praise, then guess what? He will praise himself. And our praise cannot compare to his praise because his praise is perfect praise. The reason that he wants you to praise him is because he enjoys it. In fact, the Bible says he inhabits the praises of his people. He enjoys it so much. God loves the experience of being first in your life. And not just hollow words when we say, God, you're first in my life. In fact, he loves it so much that he creates scenarios so that you can prove and he can, you can make him first in your life. And it's during these times, it is during these tests when you will learn if he is indeed first in your life. God says, Abraham, now I know. He enjoys the experience. That is why God created things. He said, let there be light. And immediately there was light. God already knew what light was. So why create it if you already know what it looks like? Because he wanted to experience the commanding of let there be light. And then when he did it, he said, oh, that's good, right? Then he said, I'll create light for the daytime and I'll create night. I'll do the sun and I'll create light for the nighttime and I'll, and I'll cast stars up into the sky. He commanded it and it was so. And he said, oh man, that is good. And then he created man. Contrary to what you think, he said, oh, that's really good too. <laughs> and then he looked at all he had done and he said, it's good. I love the experience. If it's just knowing it, he wouldn't have to do it because he already knows it, but it's in the doing. It's when he enters into the experience of it that I believe God loves the experience. What I'm trying to convey to you this morning is simple. God wants to experience you. He wants to experience you on a personal level. He doesn't want just facts. He wants to experience those facts. That's why he gave us the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit takes the facts that we read in the Bible and turns them into experiences of our life. It's not supposed to be just facts alone. We are supposed to experience life with God. That's why he wants to be in a relationship with you because God wants to experience you. Can you grasp that this morning? Well, here's principle four. 
which Abraham will learn in a big way. God will reward your faith in ways far greater than your sacrifice. I know the test can be hard, but God will reward. As I said earlier, according to Hebrews chapter 11, Abraham thought God was going to raise Isaac from the dead. He was experiencing or expecting a resurrection. Instead, he got an intervention. In other words, he was looking over here, but God was coming in over there. And look, I don't know when or how your breakthrough is going to come. And if you're like me, you even conjure up in your mind all the many ways you think your breakthrough is coming. But all I know is that if you put God first in your life and if you are obedient to him, even though it doesn't sometimes make sense to you, if you go all the way and, 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 and experience your passion and let him experience your passion and experience your love, the reward will be far greater than anything that you've ever had before. It's that simple. Because it goes on to say in verse 13, then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked and there behind him, was a ram caught in the thicket by its thorns. How long do you think that ram was caught in that thicket? What's a thicket anyway? I assume it's a bunch of, bunch of weeds all gathered together. I don't know how long that lamb was there, but it must have been quiet. Because I think any of us know that if a lamb's caught in thorns, it's going to move around and it's going to make noises. But Abraham didn't hear it. Putting it another way, when God is ready to move, folks, many times your answer is right in front of you. It becomes obvious to you, whereas before it wasn't at all obvious. You just couldn't see it. You couldn't see it until you went all the way and you passed the test. So Abraham took the lamb and he offered it as a burnt offering in place of his son. Look at Genesis twenty-two fifteen through 18. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, by myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son. Blessing, I will bless you, and multiplying, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore and your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Now, as we see this happy ending in the story, I believe there's a lot of thoughts, there are a lot of questions arise, like why did God test Abraham in this way? Had Isaac become too important to Abraham? Had he begun to take God's place in Abraham's life? We have no way of knowing that for sure. But one thing we can be sure of is such things like this happen to us. I personally believe that God orchestrates all the affairs of life. And he does so to bring us to a place where our faith will be in him and him alone. Slowly but surely as we go through life, he weans us away from the things of this world. At first, the process touches only our possessions, which can be replaced. 
Eventually, he touches on our relationships, which may not be replaced. Then he touches on our loved ones who cannot be replaced. And finally, he touches on life itself, which is never replaced. And then there is nothing left for us but God. And through this process, our Heavenly Father leads us along the pathway of complete and total trust in him. And slowly but surely, we discover things that we thought we couldn't live without don't matter as much as we thought they did. Even the dearest and the sweetest things of our life, they take second place to the pleasure of knowing God. And in the end, what we discover is that he has emptied our hands of everything and he fills our empty hands with himself. Now, as I share all these words with you this morning, I am aware that I only dimly understand them. At this point in my life, I still have a lot of things in my hand. I have my wife, I have my daughter and my son-in-law, which is new by the way, I used to just say daughter, now I have a son-in-law, love you Jeff. I have my friends, I have my calling, my career in, in ministry, my health, thank God, I have my dreams, I have my plans for the future, but the process of growing older is nothing more than this. I am learning to hold loosely to the things that God has given me by knowing that I can't keep them forever. I can't. At any moment, he can take away one by one or he can take away all at once or he could take back the very life and breath that he has given me. So if I have any advice for you, my church family today, it would be learn to hold loosely to what God has given you. They are gifts. You were never intended to take them with you. They are here to make your life pleasant, to make your life loving. You can't keep it forever. You can't keep them forever. You can't take them with you. Some of you are in the midst of a great struggle this morning and you feel pressured about something and you don't want to give it up, but you must and you will. I can't spare you the pain of yielding your dearest treasures to God. I promise you, however, that you will experience joy and that joy will far outweigh the pain that you're feeling right now. Abraham did yield his dearest treasure to God. And in doing so, he passed the test with honors. And because of that, he was put into the hall of faith. He was so moved by the whole experience, he named the place the Lord will provide. Well, Pastor David, how will God provide for me? I don't have the foggiest idea. I wish I could help you in these matters, but God does not consult me in these matters. He never does. If you ever come and ask me about an answer for your life, I may not have an answer, but one thing I can ask you is this, have you been to the altar yet with your sacrifice? Because sooner or later, God is gonna ask you to take your, the knife to something. 
And it might be something very near and dear to you. It may be a relationship that God knows is not good for you. And he's asking you to let it go because that relationship is holding you back from going all the way with him. It might be a financial deal. Maybe you've never been able to to fully trust God with your personal finances in the realm of giving, in the realm of paying your tithe like we talked about earlier. And, and, And he's asking you to trust him with the whole tithe and make it the first thing you do. Maybe he is, he is calling you to serve in a ministry or in some way in this church, but you don't think you have the time, and perhaps he is asking you to give up something that takes up so much of your time that if you gave it up, it would give you the ability to serve him and his kingdom instead of serving yourself. I don't know what God is asking you personally to give up this morning, but I do know What he will ask, he will say, do you love me enough to sacrifice it? And if you are willing to take it all the way, it will be so worth it. I want you to look at Job. I know you're probably going, come on, David, you're going on a long time here. Job was tested by God. He lost everything. But the Bible says he built an altar And with boils from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet, he worshiped God and and God showed up in his storm. And the Bible says at the end of his life, he had more than what he started with when God took it all away. Look at Paul and Silas. They were put into a dungeon and they were sentenced to death. And in the midnight hour, instead of cussing and fussing, they worshiped the one true God. And through their worship, The prison doors, they swung wide open. And instead of it being a death sentence, it turned into a great deliverance. What I'm saying this morning is don't run from your test because God will retest you. Pass your test so you can experience God at every level of your life. And remember, it is only life. This is your only life before eternity starts. And please know his blessing is always far greater than your testing. Scott, will you and the worship team please come forward? I want to remind you that this story, in this story, what we see is a a beautiful pageant of God's love. In Genesis 22, we see a man, what a man would do for the love of God. But on the cross of Calvary, we see what God would do for the love of mankind. Abraham was only asked to sacrifice his only son while God actually sacrificed his son, Jesus. When God's hand was raised at Calvary, there was no one to cry out, stop, don't harm that child. There was no ram in the thicket to be used as a substitute. God's hand fell in judgment on his own son and Jesus died for you and for me. So if you have wondered, how much does God love me? I want you to look at the bloody cross because it's there that you will find your answer. Jesus was God's greatest sacrifice. He was willing 
to give up his own son so that you and I could be saved from sin and we could be redeemed. And this morning, I felt it very appropriate as we talked about this topic of sacrifice that we would take communion together. I think it's an important time to do that. Today, we remember the ultimate sacrifice that Jesus made for us on the cross of Calvary. And in doing so, he offered us a way to be reconciled with our heavenly father. And he offers us life, eternal life, in God's presence when our time on this earth is done. And we respond to this tremendous gift by remembering what Jesus did and giving thanks to God. But our response should be that we obediently sacrifice those things that God also asks of us. God wanted to know that Abraham, the father of the faith, was fully surrendered to him and his plan for his life. And that's what he wants from you and I as well. I'm here this morning to tell you that if you truly want to live the blessed life, it's not just about obedience as the title of this series states, it's also sacrifice that brings forth blessing. Many are not living the blessed life that God intended for you to have because there are still things that you're holding closely that you need to sacrifice. And you know what they are because you've been thinking about them or it this whole time that I've been speaking about it. You need to purge some things from your life that have been too important to you, which will open you up for more of what God wants for you. You see, our adversary, Satan, he has a way of, of putting things and circumstances and people in our way, in the middle of our path, and he does so to distract us, to take up all of our time and all of our attention, therefore taking our time and our attention away from God. So if it seems like you are in a holding pattern in your life, like a hamster that's spinning on a wheel that's going nowhere, if it appears like that blessings are bypassing you, perhaps God has been testing you and you failed the test. You weren't willing to go all the way. But as I said earlier, God will retest you until you get it right. And so you'll have to cut loose of the idols and the distractions and these colossal time wasters from your life in order to experience everything that God has in store for you. It's called sacrifice. And that's what God is asking of you today. And while the ushers come forward to pass out the communion emblems, I'd like for you to dwell upon what God gave up and sacrificed for you. Before we take communion together, it's important to share with you what the Bible says regarding this sacred moment, which is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 27 through 29. It says, therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself. And so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup for he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner, eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. What that scripture tells us is that each one of us must take this time to examine ourselves 
and make sure that we are not participating in this, this uh, very holy moment in an unworthy way. Is there unconfessed sin in your life? You need to confess it. Are you harboring unforgiveness for another? You need to confess it. And then you need to leave here with the intention of making good on that relationship. Is, is anger and bitterness driving your attitudes and, and driving your actions? If so, you need to take that to the cross. Are you living in a manner that runs contrary to God's written word? You need to correct that. Or, or maybe at this point in your life, you're completely separated from God. If any of those apply to you today, it's essential that we clear them up by leaving them at the foot of the cross, lest you drink judgment to yourself, as the scriptures say. So we're gonna have a moment of silent prayer in, in just a few minutes. Before we do, I just wanna say this. If you are one who is completely separated from God this morning, you, you, can, you can receive salvation that only Jesus offers right at this moment. The Bible says if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It doesn't say you might be saved or maybe you'll, or perhaps it says you will be saved. So simply pray to Jesus and tell him that you believe in him. Ask him to forgive you of your sin. Offer him lordship over your life. The Bible says if you confess your sin, he is faithful to forgive you and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. And then you too can participate in this time of communion in a worthy manner. And for those of us who already know the Lord, those other things apply. If you've got sin you haven't confessed, confess it today. It's important that you do that. It's essential that you do that so that we can all do this. So as we pray, as we have this silent prayer, all you're gonna hear is the keyboard behind me. I wanna take this moment for us to be transparent before God when the truth is you can only be transparent before God because he already knows everything. Lay your burdens, lay your sin, anything else that might be between you and God at the cross. And after you've, after you've done that for the sake of today's message, I'd like you to determine that one thing that God is asking you to give up. That one thing that he is asking you to sacrifice and make a commitment to God this morning that you will not only sacrifice it, but you will do so in the same spirit that he sacrificed his only son, Jesus. I want you to name it. I want you to commit to it. And I want you to lay it at the foot of the cross. Most importantly, I wanna say, if for any reason, anyone in this place chooses not to make things right between you and the Lord, then I ask that you please refrain from participating in communion because without being in a right, right relationship with Jesus, the result of doing so is as the scripture says, you will be guilty of the blood and the body of the Lord by eating and drinking judgment upon yourself. So let's bow our heads. Let's have a time of silent prayer and meditation before God. Father, you've heard our words, and as always, more than importantly, you've read our hearts. And we thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for Jesus and his sacrifice. We pray this morning that you would give us the courage to give up and sacrifice those things that you ask of us. Pray that you will help us to trust fully 
in your plan for our lives. Now, Father, I ask you to bless these communion emblems we are about to receive. In Jesus' name, amen. In Matthew 26 is one of the accounts of Jesus having his last supper with his disciples at the Passover meal. In verse 26, it says, while they were eating, Jesus took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat, this is my body. And as you eat this bread, I want you to be reminded of the bruised and battered body of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, and that by his stripes, you are healed. You made the bread. Verse 27 says, then he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. He said, I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. As you drink this juice this morning, I want you to be reminded of the precious blood of Jesus that was spilled to atone for your and my sin. You may drink of the juice. Please stand to your feet as we sing. You bow your heads with me, please. Precious Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you, Father, that lives have been touched through your word. We thank you that lives have been changed during this time of communion. And we thank you that we better understand this word sacrifice. We are aware of it in terms of what you sacrificed for us, but now we are aware of it in terms of the things we must sacrifice for you. I pray that sacrifice would be a thought on our mind and a word that is on our lips and the things that you ask us to give up, we would gladly give up for having a deepened and a more faith-filled relationship with you. Lord, I thank you for my church family. I ask as we leave this place today that your spirit would go with us, guiding and direct our paths, the places we go, the things we do, the conversations that we have. Father, let those conversations be ones that build people up and not tear them down. I ask that we would leave here shining as bright lights in a dark world that really needs to hear about you, Father. So I pray that uh, people would come up to us and say, what is it about you? Because you're shining so brightly and it's the love of God in our hearts. Father, I pray for a, an encounter, a God or encounter this week for everyone in this building that someone would cross their path and would ask the kind of questions that would lead to them sharing Jesus with them. And Father, I pray when that time comes, as your word says, you give us the words to speak and the strength to do so. So use us this week, Father. And as we leave here today, let us go in your love, that transforming love that has transformed all of us. And I ask these things in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Thank you for being here.